Alrighty, guys, welcome to week one of You Pick. Uh, this is one of those uh, opportunities where you get to ask any question you might have of God, Jesus, Bible, or church. Uh, and we want to be able to answer that with you. We had some great questions uh, first service, and uh, I think we're going to have some great questions in second service. If you want to be able to uh, ask those questions, make sure to text them uh, to 614-0339, and all of us will get that text. In fact, let me say this. I'd like to introduce everybody that's up here. Uh, on the end, uh, we have our redheaded ginger of, the, of our staff. His name is Patrick Fowler, really good friend of mine. Uh, he has uh, been on staff here at One Church for a little over four years. Uh, he is our small groups pastor, as well as our next steps pastor, and just a great friend. And I love Patrick to death. So, Philip Christie is here, and he's actually a new person on our staff. He does all of our our bookkeeping. And you're thinking, well, why is a bookkeeper up here? Well, because uh, Philip uh, Philip really feels like that God has called him into ministry. He does something called apologetics that we'll talk a little bit about. But it's basically uh, understanding and asking questions of the text and defending your faith. And uh, you have, uh, tell us, uh, like, what's your degrees and all that stuff in? Oh, so I'm a senior philosophy student at Austin P. I served as the president of the philosophy club for a year and a half. Uh, part of my duties and part of the things I did was I organized debates and discussions and participated in those debates and discussions, uh, particularly arguing for the existence of God against uh, Society for Secular Humanism, things like that. So, Yeah. All right, sweet. Thanks for telling us about yourself. Luther, tell you a little bit about Luther. Uh, Luther hasn't been at one church from the very beginning, but almost to the very beginning. Uh, we launched at the movie theater, and about three months later, Luther and his family came along. Luther and I have been friends for years, longer than one church even started, uh, because we had a mutual friend. And uh, Luther has been on staff in pretty much any and all capacity at some point. And Luther has a lot of passion. You'll know this about Lou. And uh, so glad to have you here, Lou. So... All right, so let's dig in. Who wants to read the first question that we're getting? I can read the first one. Okay. So, I believe God has a plan. I believe he can turn all bad for good, but how do, how do you explain or rationalize all the horrible things that happen in the world, or all the good, faithful people who are not healed, or those whose lives don't work out well despite their unwavering faith? How do you continue to be faithful and not get angry or bitter when it seems like your life working out according to his plan is pretty much going to suck for you. If not forever, uh, for a really long time. Wow, we're starting light here, people. So you're going to have to ask harder questions Welcome than to that. one church. So absolutely. Who wants to answer that one? I vote for Pat. <laughs> Patrick? I'm just going to be honest. I was reading another question that wasn't nearly as hard to answer. So. <laughs> Well, let's, let's yeah. read that one. Right, I'm going to read that one. Do it. Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? <laughs> I don't know. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, next I'll, question. No, I'll, what, I'll, I'll, Pat, go ahead and answer that I question. will answer that question because it's been a struggle of mine this week. I found out a friend is, is terminally ill, and um, he's a good friend. He's my age. He's got a family. And I really emotionally reacted badly to that. Um, and, uh, and if that's kind of what you're struggling with, that's, that's a common thing. In fact, I would say knowing people and being a pastor a couple of years, that's the reason most people, I think, either don't believe in God or run away from God is because something bad happens not to, not to the general public but to somebody they know, and they really have a hard time dealing with that, or to them for that matter. And uh, it's happened to me, and I'm dealing with it right now. Um, what can I say about that? I'd say it's completely okay to have the emotions 
that go with that, to be angry, to be frustrated, um, to lash out at God. Um, that's okay. In fact, that's one of the things I love most about Christianity is the Bible is full of examples of that. The the book of Psalms, which is a book of poetry, is basically people processing their emotions, and they'll say things like, I want this person to go to hell. Um, I wish they would just die. I feel like I'm dying. And they're just being real with God. It's not that they're they're, um, saying things that are necessarily true. It's, It's true of them and their emotions where they're at. And so that's okay. I think the worst thing you can do actually is to hold the emotions in um, or to just cut God off from talking. And uh, that's what it, it's hard, but I just try to keep the line of communication open to God. Sometimes I have to write stuff out. Sometimes I have to um, find a friend and just kind of vent it to them. But, but I, am, I keep the line of communication open to God because I feel like two things happen when you do that. One, you eventually do get an answer from God. It doesn't come quickly, it takes time, and sometimes it comes kind of unexpectedly. But you do get an answer to why, some of why that happened. But the bigger, bigger thing is, when you look back on the struggle, you realize God was with you the entire time you were going through it. And to me, that's always meant so much more than um, getting the answer. It, it's knowing that God cared enough to where I could, I could feel him walking through the season with me. Mm. And, that's um, and that's, that is a promise that he makes, that he will always be with us. That's right. You know, there's a lot of different... Uh, books and verses in the Bible that people ask that same question. The whole book of Habakkuk uh, is where G- uh, Habakkuk is very angry with God. And uh, the book of Job, Job is frustrated with God. David, who wrote about half of the Psalms, gets frustrated with God. And he was a man after his own heart. So I, I agree totally with Pat. It's okay to share your frustration with God. He's all-knowing, right? So he, he already knows you're frustrated. So just go ahead and tell him that. Go ahead and tell him that. So we go say that. Why would we want to serve a God who didn't, who couldn't take our anger? Um, how many of you, with your own parents, had moments that you were angry with them? And and, and right or wrong, um, you expressed that anger to them. And your parents still chose you and still loved you. They may have been a little disappointed in the moment, but. But if we talk about God as this good Father, this perfect Father, then we can go to Him and you know. Man, there have been times in my life where I have absolutely screamed at God. There was a season in my life about five years ago where I just absolutely knowingly acted like a two-year-old because God was asking me to do something I didn't want to do. And I just had a temper tantrum about it. I was mad at God. I probably cussed. I didn't probably. I cussed at God some. We fought it out to the point where I was just waiting for God to break my hip. Like, I just knew, you know, Old Testament, like, I knew that was coming. And so finally, I just had to get to this place where... I knew all along I was going to do what God wanted me to do. I just needed a moment to have a temper tantrum first because it was different than my plans. I was losing control. But if I served a God that I couldn't be angry at, what good would he be? If, if his temperament changed, if his mood changed simply because I got upset, what kind of a God would he be? Um, I have a daughter who tells me every day, I'm mad at you. And I'm like, okay, I know, I love you. And she's like, okay. Um, and we're good. So, and I'm far from being as good as God. It's good. Here's, um, here's a kind of just more logistical one. How do I hear or listen to God? Um, how do I know the difference between him and my own thoughts? Chris? I just talk. Can I cover an easy part of this? This is something we work. I, I don't know if y'all know, but I've, for the last year, I've preached on Tuesday nights to our young adult service. And, and my wife and I have led a small group for young adults for years. And one of the kind of the thoughts that we push through that continually is that because young adults are making a lot of life change, a lot of decisions that are going to affect a lot of their life, marriage, job, career, school. And and one of the things we always talk about to them 
is do the, it does the decision in front of you, does it line up with God's character and God's word? And if you're hearing something, if you think God is speaking to you, an example, you think God is telling you to move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm going to tell you right now, that is not God speaking to you. Because what you're hearing is an absolute contradiction to God's character and God's word. And that is the first and easiest way to, to think, okay, am I, just, am I thinking something that lines up with what I already want to do? Or am I actually hearing God speak to me right now? Um, that wrestling moment that I had where, where God told me to do something I didn't want to do, it absolutely lined up with God's character and God's word. It did not line up with my plans and what I wanted. And, and, and for me, that was a very easy test was, is this God speaking to me or is this something I just want to do? So that would be, I don't want to say that's the easy way to measure that out, but that is one of the really good ways we've talked about measuring out, is this God's voice or not? All right. We've got a lot of questions. We've we got to burn questions. through these, all right? Um, let's see. Uh, uh, one, here's a question. Just curious, uh, no lady available for questions. Um, uh, my wife will actually be on stage next week answering some questions, but that's a great question. Um, uh, another one. Uh, what is one thing you wish Christians would do differently? Hmm. <laughs> we got a list. How much time have we got? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one thing. One. Oh, my gosh. Let's pick one. I have probably, the biggest thing that I wish Christians would change is actually this whole idea of doubt. Doubt is something that I think all of us struggle with, and I think it it should be embraced. Like, we're all in the pursuit of truth. I'm in the pursuit of truth. I'm a philosopher. That's really important for me. But the thing is, if, if, if truth is rooted in God, you're logical, you're reasonable, you're going through, if you embrace doubt, answer your questions, find out, ask us, ask any of us on this stage. We're all in the pursuit of truth, and I think just answering your questions can, can ultimately, will ultimately lead you to God. Okay. All right, good. That's good. Here's a question. Um, my friend and I got into a disagreement one day. She said that um, we should prepare ourselves, our mind, body, and surroundings before we speak to God in prayer. Um, go somewhere quiet. Um, I do some of my best praying while driving in the car. So any thoughts on the tension there? You know, I, I, usually when I'm driving, the people riding with me pray to Jesus a lot. Amen. Um, uh, That's not a joke. Uh, it ain't no joke. <laughs> it Same. is not. Y'all want to get closer to Jesus, ride with the pastor. So anyway, You may meet him that day. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it really matters where you pray to God. Uh, it really doesn't, as long as you talk to him. Um, I think there's some things, you know, before we open up God's word and read the scripture, I think many times we have to, I think it's good for us to pray to God and get on that spiritual wavelength. Um, before I come out and teach, I'm, I'm, I'm praying and I'm like, God, you know, uh, let my words be your words and my thoughts be your thoughts. Uh, Isaiah 55, 11 says, every time your word goes out, it always produces fruit. It never returns void. And I think it's one of those things, uh, prayer, it doesn't matter where you do it. Uh, I, I do think the Bible does talk about, you know, going, uh, separating yourself and kind of going in your prayer closet, whatever that means. Um, some people like to pray in public and make these long words and big things and, uh, God, Jesus kind of speaks a lot about that. Uh, and he says, if you're going to pray, why don't you do it privately and just talk to your Heavenly Father like you're talking to your best friend. So, um, but uh, I don't think it matters whether or not you pray in the car or not. Just uh, make sure you keep your eyes open. 
So, uh, if you come to one church, but your significant other is Catholic and afraid to upset their family, how do you take steps to do this? Well, the word Catholic means one church. And so I say that almost as a joke, but not really. My wife and I had a small group about six years ago, and we realized after about a month in the group, there were of the like seven couples, only two of us weren't Catholic. And like the couples had been out of church for a while, and they saw this thing called One Church, and they thought we were some kind of progressive Catholic church. And they showed up and liked it and just never left. Um, so just tell them we're... We're one church. We're Catholic. You know, we're not Catholic. Not, no, not even close. Well, but, I mean, I, um, to us, it's not about <laughs> denominations. You need to know, Catholic is a denomination. Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, what, you know, Nazarene. Uh, we don't want to push in a, a church's agenda. We don't want to push a denomination's view of Scripture. We want to get to God's Word and see what does God have to say about it. And uh, i got to be honest with you, I grew up Southern Baptist. And uh, some of my beliefs differ from Southern Baptist uh, to this day um, because and it's the reason why I went to a seminary that I went to I just didn't want to get the Southern Baptist way of doing things I want to see what God's word have to say it without before we kind of kind of mess it all up so I say all of this uh, I don't think denominations are bad or evil I just one of the the prayers that we started one church with and and back in September 9th of 2007 right before we launched was in John chapter 17 and Jesus is speaking and he's speaking to his heavenly father and he says I pray that when people look at us, that they will see that you and I are one and that they will be one just as you and I are one. And that's where the whole idea of One Church came in. So, uh, so I would just keep on inviting, uh, keep on inviting. And some of you, you know exactly how that feels because you have people, you keep on inviting the church, inviting the church. Don't stop. Uh, don't stop. So, which leads uh, us to a... Go ahead. Real quick though, because we're talking about spouses mm-hmm. and we're talking about respecting your spouse. And I, I know we've had this come up when you and I have done membership class. And people have talked, our ownership class now, and people have talked about, you know, I go to church and my spouse doesn't, and should I tithe? And we've always told that spouse to, to respect their husband or wife. Mm-hmm. And as much as we would love for you to tithe, we don't want that to be something that divides your marriage. Um, and, and, and this is why it's really tough when you get married to someone and you don't work these issues out before. Um, but I would say in, in every way possible, don't let church be something that divides you and your spouse. Mm-hmm. And don't let your church choice be something that drives your spouse away from God. Um, A a relationship with God should be attractive to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way we live that out should make people want to know, why are you so much different? Why do you love differently? Why do you show forgiveness differently? Especially your relationship with your spouse. And so I I would say, don't let one church become something that turns your spouse off to God. Mm -hmm. That's good. Here's another question quickly. It kind of goes along with what we just talked about. Are God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit the same entity or three separate entities? If they're the same entity, why does Jesus pray to God? That's a really good question. So that was actually one that got solved really early in the the history of Christianity, but it had a lot of debate. So thinking, how does this work, um, is a a big sense of discussion. um, There are places in Scripture where all three persons of the Godhead exist. The, the big one that we talk about a lot is when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. It says the Father speaks from heaven and then the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. And we looked at passages like that to, uh, to see that God actually um, does exist in three distinct people uh, and that um, 
those three people are 100% united. And we don't exactly know how that works. There's been a lot of really bad analogies like eggs and stuff that have been used to try to Bicycles. describe it. Uh, water and, yeah. and ice and versus water versus um, steam. steam. But basically what we would say is we don't understand all of it, but we understand that from Scripture it's very clear that there are three persons in the Godhead. And we call that the Trinity. And it's, a, it's actually a belief that I would say vast majority of of Protestant and even Catholic Church completely agrees with. It's, it's not really something that we debate much. Um, again, it's not easy to understand how it works. The only book I've ever read that really, other than intellectually addressed this, was a book called The Shack. And it was just kind of a fiction book about a guy who encounters God, and he encounters all three persons of the Godhead. It's, it's, some people like it, some people don't, but you may find it interesting to read and kind of see how, in one sense, one person interacts with all three. And I think that's kind of fun. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Praise to... Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he mentions God the Father. He mentions Jesus Christ. And then if you actually go down in verse 13, and also um, in Christ you were put our hope in his glory, and you were also included in Christ, message of truth, is to seal the promise of the Holy Spirit. So in these, uh, these few verses jam-packed together, you see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's all there in Ephesians 1. Uh, I believe it. I believe it's three persons, one God. Uh, if you ask me to try to explain it, I can't. <laughs> so, uh, um, and what's so crazy is Jesus, who was one of the three, he never explained the Trinity either. So if Jesus didn't try to explain it, <laughs> I'm going to drop the mic and say, I ain't got a clue. So I just believe it. So anyway. All right, next question. People say if you don't believe in God, you will not go to heaven and not be, and I think it says save in the world. Maybe that's safe in the world. Is that true? Anybody? I'd say our biggest goal as a church is to help people answer that question, um, specifically by knowing who Jesus is and what he invited them to. In fact, if you walk out on the um, tables that we set out every week, the one that says next steps, the center thing on that table is a back-and-forth description of what it means to enter a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, that's Jesus' sole purpose in, in coming here, um, is to point us in that direction and help us to understand how important that decision above all others is. Um, so yeah, we definitely believe that, and um, it's not the most popular thing to hold, but we wouldn't do what we do if that wasn't true. We really wouldn't. So if we're just here to make people's lives better, there's much easier ways to do a lot of that stuff. And I would add this, you know, just believing in God is believing in God enough, and I mm -hmm. would answer no. In James, it says this, it's, it's good that you believe in God, but even the demons believe and shudder. So it takes more than just believing in this higher power. Uh, it has to get even more than that. And Luther, why don't you, I mean, what, I'm trying to put you on second base here, but what, what do you have to believe? Well, it's, we, you know, I, it's pretty simple. You have to believe that there is a God, that he is the creator of the universe. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, always been, always will be. There's one way for you to have a relationship with him, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. That, that Jesus was God-made man, that Jesus came. Jesus took the punishment for every sin you and I have ever committed. And so that's literally what he did on the cross was all the wrath, all the punishment, everything that I should receive from my bad choices, my selfishness, everything I've ever done that would disappoint God. Jesus said, I will stand in front of Luther and I will take that punishment from God. And not only will I do that for Luther, I'm willing to do that for anyone who's ever lived if they will believe in me and accept me. And, and one of the things that we believe foundationally, you cannot add additional steps 
You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to wear the right clothes. You don't have to pray the right way. There is one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. And, and if anything takes away from the importance of Jesus or added steps, I'd say that's wrong. I mean, we're, we're going to call that probably a cult or something else. Um, but it, it's foundationally simple. One way to God, and that's through Jesus. Cool. Can I add a little bit to that? There's another question in here that says, um, is the Bible true? Um, do the stories really matter? And I think it goes back to Jesus. Uh, if you want to know that the Bible is true, the focal point you want to look at is Jesus. There are four accounts of his life. There are four accounts of nobody else's life in the ancient, in, in the ancient world. And we have thousands upon thousands of copies of this account of Jesus' life, many that date right up until the time, basically, that, that he passed on and his disciples left. And so there is historical evidence that no good historian will ever deny that Jesus did walk this earth, that he did make the claims that he made, and that if you want to stretch it even farther, that he did the miracles and the crazy things that, that you read in Scripture that he did. And, um, and if you want somewhere to, to kind of get stuck in your search of faith and do I believe in God and do I not, it's, it's in Jesus. Did this man really walk the earth? Uh, do I really believe he said what he said? And what am I going to do with that in the end? Am I going to call him? Because you've got a couple of choices. You've, you can call him a crazy person. Um, you can call him the son of God, but you really can't call him a good teacher because he was either blatantly lying because he talked about being God all the time in his ministry. He didn't just mention it once or twice. It's not something we come up with afterwards, but he's constantly saying, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. You've got to deal with this. And, uh, and, and that ultimately is true. And to go back to, is the Bible reliable? Then if you believe Jesus is the son of God, well, he talked about the rest of Scripture as if it was true as well. And if he can talk about Adam and Eve as if they were real people, I'm going to go with the guy who, who died and rose from the dead because I think I can hedge my bet pretty well on a guy like that. You know, talking about uh, the Bible being reliable, um, how many of y'all uh, read the news every day? Let me see your hands. Okay. Twitter count? <laughs> <laughs> my gosh. All right. does, does Twitter count? Because that's where uh, I do news. Something. I mean, I, I try to read something. I don't read a piece of paper. I don't read the paper. I mean, nobody reads that anymore, right? But, I mean, you read, and by the way, if you work for the Leaf Chronicle, I apologize. Um, but I, I simply say this. You know, we read a lot of things every day that we don't say is 100% true. You think about it, right? Uh, you read a novel, you read this. We, we read because we read, right? Uh, it's just kind of, thanks for coming to one church. But I, I would encourage you to do this. If you don't believe the Bible, I would still encourage you to read it and start doing what it says. And here's what I know is going to happen. If you read the Bible and you do what it says, then truth is truth, no matter if you learn it here at church or if you learn it at school, and your life will start to change. And when your life starts to change, you're going to go, huh, maybe if I can trust God with my finances, and that's what he said, maybe if I can trust God with how I should treat my spouse, then maybe, just maybe I can trust God with my eternity and what, it says, what he says about that. So uh, I, just, I would just say try it. Try it. I, I double-dog dare you. So, um, there you go. All right. So, I would like to add one thing to that. All of these questions, actually, I'd like to add one overall thing. All of these questions, especially those pertaining to, is the Bible reliable? Did Jesus actually exist? Is there evidence for the resurrection? Things like that. I actually teach a defender's class that we have here at one church. There's a few brochures over on the Next Steps table called Reasons to Believe. And we dive into all of these questions into a lot more depth um, then we can actually speed through here. But I do want to read one question that uh, has come through that really, really speaks to me. It says, I'm constantly scared of death. I fear of the atheistic approach that there is nothing after life that terrifies me. And that terrifies me. 
I want to believe with all that I am in God and Jesus, but I fear of being wrong just because there are so many people that do not believe, and more and more people are moving to a secular belief. So I want to be like really open and real with you. I, I wish I could believe that there was no afterlife. I really wish I could, because that's a heck of a lot easier than answering for every bad thing that I've done. I am not a great person. I've done some things that I really regret, and I think a lot of people have. If there's an afterlife, if I'm judged, I'm going to be held accountable for that. I wish I could believe that there was no afterlife. I wish it just ended afterwards. That's a heck of a lot easier than what I think is actually true, that there is an afterlife, there is a God, there is a judgment, Jesus is the way that we get there. Awesome. All right. Can we get the next question? Yeah, do it. The Bible says that God created the heaven and earth in seven days. How can we explain the ice age and dinosaurs and all of that? Are God's days longer than our days? Mm. There you go. And I'll be honest with you, that, that's, an, that's an option. <laughs> that I believe it's in First or Second Peter. I'll, have, I'll look it up in just a sec. Um, but it talks about, uh, uh, look this up while I'm talking, Pat, will okay. you? Uh, that a day to God is like a thousand years to us. Um, uh, so some people think, that when he says, you know, one day, you actually was, you know, a million years or whatever. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't know. Um, I personally believe that if God, when he communicated it, uh, he commun- if he wanted to say a thousand years, he would have said a thousand years. So I believe if God, if you wanted to create it all in one day or like that, he could have done it. So, um, but uh, to, to explain the Ice Age and dinosaurs, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, I think that, that you read some Bible verses in there that maybe allude to dinosaurs. Uh, my personal theory, and that's all it is, uh, is uh, I believe that the dinosaurs were destroyed uh, with the flood, um, and that is uh, how that happened. Uh, I, do I believe dinosaurs exist? I do. Um, and again, when you read parts of Scripture, uh, there's a couple of mentions of something called a Leviathan, and one of them is the book of Job. It kind of it reminds me of a brachiosaurus if you were watch Jurassic Park. You know, but at the end of the day, I don't know. That'll be one of those questions I'll get up to everyone and go, hey, God, come here. Well, and to your point, I think that probably in these four people up here, we have different opinions about that. Mm -hmm. Um, What I would tell you is is that's a question, if you look for answers for it, um, I hope that you find the right people that will really expand your mind. I really like a ministry, and they can be dogmatic at times, but I really like a ministry out of Kentucky near Cincinnati called... um, uh, answers in Genesis, because they've got a museum where you can not just read facts, but you can actually kind of experience their perspective. Now, they've got a lot of flack because they're building like a full-size ark, and it's caught a lot of controversy, and most of you have probably seen a headline like that, or you've seen a really uh, a debate with Bill Nye, the science guy that they did. Those things tend to paint people in a black and white light, but the truth is it will expand your mind. For us, it's not even close to a hill to die on. It's, not uh, it's something close. if you want to Absolutely. learn about it, learn about it, and let it kind of expand your mind, but don't feel like Christians have to fall on A or B. It really, it's really open to a lot of interpretation, and to me, it's one of those answers that, as Lou, I think you said last time, we, covered it we get up service. to heaven, I want to know, but until we get to heaven, I'm kind of okay with some ambiguity and not knowing. I mean, that's what faith has to look like for me. There's a bunch of stuff I want to know. Like, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I have questions. And, and, and so for me to have faith, what I finally had to come to was saying that when I die and I go to heaven, first place I'm going is the mosh pit. Like, I don't want the boring church. I want to go right down front where, like, the Red Hot Chili Peppers version of worship is happening. And Jesus is there. And I'm going to jump around for, like, 100,000 years and worship Jesus. 
And, and then I think we're going to get like a break to eat some food because God loves us and heaven's going to be perfect. So there's going to be food. And like I'm going to my crib and I'm barbecuing and I'm going to put on the heaven learning channel and I'm getting answers to my questions. And I wish I could get those now. Like, as I do, I want to know about dinosaurs, and I want to understand six days. Is that literal days or longer days? But God made days, so he knows what a day is. But that was really fast, like a car commercial. But what I'm trying to say is, for me, the only way I could ever get to a point of faith was to say, faith means having, believing in something that you don't necessarily completely understand. Like, I have faith that this chair is going to hold me up. I don't have a physics degree. I did not come out here with stuff and test the density of the wood. I did not check this floor to see what the load rating per square inch was because I'm a big guy. I just had faith that if I sat in this chair, it would hold me up for the 30 minutes I was going to sit here. I don't have to understand all the reasons of how and why. And for me, having coming to a place of faith, I mean, at some point I just had to say, the things I do know all point me to Jesus and God being real. The way he's interacted in my life personally. The way he's changed me, I know is real, and I'll just have to figure the other stuff out at the Heaven Learning Channel. Well, and to your point, I think a lot of us, I know me, coming to faith for me was, it was giving God a chance. It was getting around Christian people. It was reading the stories in the Bible, the, the, uh, what it actually contained. And it was reaching out to God and saying, um, you know, if you're real, kind of, kind of, Show yourself to me in a relevant way. And I, I think most people come to faith in a way that they don't get all their questions answered. They just have a real encounter with God. They find enough that is absolutely true and worthy to hang on to, to step into faith. And their questions come with them. And you get some of them answered and you don't get some of them answered. But ultimately, that walk with God is what strengthens people in, in, and gets them walking in faith. It's not that no questions get answered. It's not that it's all some um, touchy-feely experience. But it's that you've got to give God a chance to encounter you personally. Because ultimately, and that's why we talk about it all the time, faith is a personal relationship. It is something you walk in personally with God. And even after you come to faith, you'll have reasons to want to walk out. But if you stick with God, you'll know that he's real. Uh-huh. Next question says this. What's so great about small groups? Why are, you always, why are you guys always trying to promote getting people into small groups? Normally, I would allow our small groups pastor uh, <laughs> to answer this, but I want to answer this one. Uh, the reason why we believe small groups are so vitally important is because, and we have a couple of these slogans, I'm going to throw them out to you and I'm going to explain them, is we believe that circles are better than rows. We believe that you, we can get taught here, but true life change happens in a small group. Um, uh, I was actually talking to uh, somebody I was counseling this past Tuesday, Monday, uh, Pat and I were meeting with. Mm-hmm. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this. Um, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards loving good deeds. And I love this because why, why small groups is because I want to be unswerving. I want to be consistent. And the only way you and I can be consistent in our faith is when we allow people the opportunity to be able to spur us on to ask us difficult questions, and to be honest with you, I can't do that here. I don't know you here, and you don't know me here. I mean, some of you think you know me because I'm on stage a lot, and I wouldn't mind getting to know some of you, but really at the end of the day, I can't get to know every one of you, and you can't get to know every one of us. It's the reason why we want you to get into a small group where somebody, like the cheer says, somebody knows your name. 
And somebody can say, hey, listen, you haven't been showing up, or have you read your Bible? No. Yeah, and next week, have you read your Bible? No. After about the third week, I'm going to be up in your business. Because I expect you to do that to me. So that's the importance of small groups. I, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to tick everybody off here. You know what? Don't matter. Here's what I know. If you don't, I'm not just talking about small groups, but if you don't have somebody in your life who can ask you tough questions, here's what I know about you. You're inconsistent. Period. You're inconsistent. You're inconsistent in your spiritual walk. And our goal is we want you to grow spiritually. And as, as your pastor, I am in a community group. We're going to be meeting tonight at 6 o'clock. And, and, and sometimes they get all up in my business because they love me. So, anyway, that's me preaching. I'm scale that back a little bit, all right? All right, all right. Let me, next let me just question. say this, too. Yeah. Um, we got a military, a lot of military families. I'm not military, but I've moved every four years in my adult life. I moved uh, to Virginia from Kentucky. Um, I was nine hours away from home, didn't know anybody. I, seriously, my parents were the closest people, and they were a nine-hour drive away when I moved to college. Then I went from uh, Virginia to Atlanta, and the only person I knew I took with me, my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved from Atlanta to Dallas, and again, didn't know anybody. And I was doing it for good reasons, but I spent some of those seasons alone. And it was difficult, and I wasn't consistent, and I struggled. And I spent other seasons connected well. I completely believe this because I know it from personal experience. And we know it from personal experience. And so we would never, we never want to do church without this as a tool in our tool bag to help people grow spiritually. The tagline I like to use is connected people grow further, faster. And if you're one of those people who wants to take life for all it's worth, I would just say small group's non-essential. I mean, it's got to be there for it to... Uh, and by to the way, I don't know who texted that in or whatever. I just, I, and I, I'm not I'm here to judge you. I, I'm just, I'm your pastor, and I, I agree with Pat. We want you to grow farther, faster. And the best way to do that is to get into a small group. All right. Well, and, and let's be honest. <laughs> we only have a couple years with a lot of you guys. If you're military, we've got a couple of years. We've got to make that the best it can possibly be. So we push small groups hard, sometimes really hard, because we know if you don't get in one in August and you don't get one in January, we might not have another August Mm. to get you connected. That's right. So whether you've got a couple of months or a couple of years, we we want to make the most of that. All right, we've got tons of questions. Here's what we're going to do. We've got five minutes max. Let's hit a question, one sentence answer. All right, here's one. How do you help someone who's struggling with anxiety and depression deal with sadness when they feel that they believe in God and say that they pray for guidance? Maybe two sentences. All right. Well, let's make it quick. I would say there is a spiritual component, and there may be a component that needs maybe some professional help. Yeah. Go to counseling. I would say that both of the, I would say a good Christian counselor uh, would be a very good place to start. And, and I'm one, my one sentence, there, I know a lot of Christians who struggle with depression. A lot of you are not alone. You are not alone. All right? N- next question. So somebody's got one. Read <laughs> I'll read them. All right. All right here we go. Uh, so in your sermon, you talked about how Eve added to the Word of God, and we're not to do that. I agree, but have some nagging questions about a clarification. How do I know which Bible version is a true inspired Word of God when some have added and others have deleted? All right? I.e. the Apocrypha. And we talked a little bit about this, the Gospel of Thomas, you know, all this stuff. Uh, who can answer this one? Very short. So, okay, we, we do still have 
original manuscripts available to us. I know most of us probably do not read Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, so on and so forth, but we do have lexicons and different things that we can actually cross-check modern translations to some of the older stuff. Um, I'll just go ahead. And, I'll say I prefer the North American Standard Bible. It's, I think, one of the best translations. Um, you'll typically see it in a lot of seminaries, some others as well. But we can go back and actually look at what the original manuscript said. It's not like they're way off. Well, I preach from New Living Translation, but I prefer it home. I'm a hippie, so I read the message. Uh, and then if I'm actually studying, I go into, I, I read a lot of versions if I'm studying for something, but for my hippie personal reading, I do the message. Well, NIV is good, NESB, NLT, the message. Yeah. I don't care what, uh, what version you read, just read the Bible. Yeah. That really is important. Um, Chris and I were trained to read Greek and Hebrew. We looked at the original manuscripts. We actually had to do assignments on, um, you know, this word is this way in one manuscript, this word is another way in this manuscript. I can tell you, the, you know, there's not a lot of intentional changes. It's, it's more of a, hey, is this and or or? Because mm-hmm. somebody misheard it and mis, miswrote this word. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, very reliable. Like I said, there's so much more evidence, so much more reliable evidence for Jesus than there ever will be for something like Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar was a politician. He had all the power. He had uh, histories. He paid people to write histories for him. Jesus was a carpenter. I mean, he had no... It, it just, it's crazy. So there's reliability there. We have there's a lot more questions that we didn't get to. So here's yeah. what I promise you guys. We're either going to get to your questions during the week, uh, or we're going to come back next week and we're going to answer those questions, okay? So make sure to come back next week and we're going to continue to have this dialogue. Know this at One Church. We just don't want to preach at you or just at being a monologue. We want to have a conversation, and that's the reason why we do these a couple times a year. So thank you so much for coming. So let's give it up to the band and let's sing.